Assalamu alaikum dear brothers and sisters and welcome to another episode of the Tafsir Treasures podcast. A podcast where we delve into the verses of the Quran to connect with the book of Allah, the greatest miracle of our beloved Prophet. I hope that you enjoy and benefit from the content inshallah and like always, please let us know about any feedback regarding this episode. Having said that, let's delve straight into the Tafsir inshallah. Now he's going to start describing what this day of judgment is actually like. So this is in continuation of the first three verses of Surah Al-Haqqa. Starts out like this, verse 13. فَإِذَا نُفِخَ فِي الصُّورِ نَفْقَةٌ وَاحِدًا When that moment comes where the trumpet is blown into. This idha that you find at the beginning of the verse is, they call it in Arabic, idha fujaiya, which means you would translate it as suddenly, all of a sudden. All of a sudden when they blow into the trumpet, because the verses of the Quran say that the day of judgment comes, it comes, you know, in as a surprise. It's not something people are expecting. It comes as a surprise. When they blow once into the trumpet. We mentioned last week that this blowing into the trumpet is something that we know from the verses of the Quran that it happens twice. It's not something that happens once. The first time it happens is when everyone dies. Yes, they blow into the trumpet, everyone dies. And then the second time they blow into the trumpet is when the day of judgment is actually going to begin. Before the Day of Judgment begins, there are certain events that take place. And this is what these events that take place. As the human beings are being resurrected is what many of the verses of the Qur'an talk about. Many of the surahs that you find at the end of the 30th juz of the Qur'an are discussing these events. The reason why they are so critical, the reason why they are of so, so much importance is because the human being witnesses these things. In other words, the trumpet is blown into. Everyone dies. The trumpet is blown into a second time. Everyone rises from the dead. Everyone is risen from the dead. And then these events start to take place. So these are events, these are incidents that take place in the presence of the human beings. It's not that while they're dead, things change. No. They are risen from the dead and then they see these events that take place. And these events that take place, of course we know from, we've heard this many times, that these events are very horrific events. They are events that are very frightening and the Quran is going to go into some of them in just a second. But as we also mentioned, these events that are so horrific, they are so frightening, they are not always frightening for everybody. That's what we're going to talk about in just a second. For some people, they're very frightening. For some people, no, they are protected from the fear of the day of judgment. Not everyone is fearful on that day. Not everyone is shaking to their core on that day. Not everyone is in the same basket, right? Not everyone, you, can, you don't paint everyone with the same brush. No, there are some who are like that. There are also some who, as the Quran says, they are protected from the fear of that day. So we'll have to delve into that a little bit. These are the two trumpets that, or the one trumpet that is blown into twice. That's the first time people die. The second time people are risen from the dead, they are resurrected from the dead, 
and then the events of the Day of Judgment take place, or the events leading up to the Day of Judgment, I should say, take place. And then finally, you will have the Day of Judgment itself in the sense of the accounting and the, you know, the good deeds and the bad deeds, which the Qur'an is going to go to or go through in these verses of the Qur'an. Okay. So the trumpet is blown into the second time. Everyone is risen. Everyone is r resurrected. What happens? When everyone is risen from the dead, then they start to witness, again, these horrific events that we were talking about. Here in Surah Al-Haqqa, he only mentions maybe two or three of them. Other verses of the Qur'an, when you put it all together, there are a number of events that take place. Of the most notable is the earthquake that takes place. Yes? The earthquake that takes place on that day is very, very big. It's very horrific. And the Quran continues to explain what it looks like. Here he says, when the human beings are risen, they are resurrected, then we take the earth, they are smashed and shattered into pieces. And if you see that he is pointing out the mountains, because he already said Al-Ard, he said the earth, it's going to be shattered into pieces. Why Al-Jibal? Al-Jibal is part of earth. The mountains are part of earth. Why, why mention the mountains in particular? Because the mountains are symbols of stability. When you want to describe someone as a person who's stable, as a person who's consistent, as a person who doesn't waver, Right? What do we describe him as? We say like this person is like a mountain. Yes? When the wind comes, this person doesn't sh shiver. This person doesn't shake. He's, he's very stable. He's very consistent. Yes? The Quran says the symbols of stability on the day of judgment. Al-Jibal. These things that you would never think anyone would be able to move them. On that day, they are shattered into pieces. In one move... We smash them once and they turn into pieces. And other verses of the Quran says that then these pieces are beaten, like beaten cotton. Yes, this is in Surah Al-Qari'ah. And then in other verses of the Quran, he says that when they are beaten and they turn into sand, they turn, they turn into, uh, you know, very, very small pieces. Then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, they, they are scattered into the air. And then the Quran says, we level it as if the mountains never even existed. So the Quran here is just pointing out the first step. Afterwards, there are other steps that happen when it comes to the mountains. Okay, so the first thing that happens is, You can imagine the chaos that's happening in these moments, yes? This is not a normal event that the human beings are going through. And this is that day where the event takes place. Which event? It's referring to the day of judgment. Okay. So this is just one picture. The Quran will describe more for us the horrific events that take place on that day. But is it horrific for everybody? Is it frightening for everybody? Is it the factor that, you know, is the idea that no matter what I do in this world, the day of judgment is going to be scary for me? The reality is not that. The reality is that the verses of the Quran tell us for many people, it will be frightening, it, might be, it will be horrific. But for, the, for some, it won't be horrific at all. Because the verses of the Quran tell us that those who come on the day of judgment with their good deeds, 
they will be protected from the fear of the day of judgment. مَنْ جَاءَ بِالْحَسَنَةِ فَلَهُ خَيْرٌ مِّنْهَا وَهُمْ مِّنْ فَزَعٍ يَوْمَئِذٍ آمِنُونَ On that day, these individuals who جَاءَ بِالْحَسَنَةِ They come with their good deeds. وَهُمْ مِّنْ فَزَعٍ يَوْمَئِذٍ آمِنُونَ They are protected from the fear of that day. So it's not that everyone is scared on the day of judgment. This is a common misunderstanding that we have as it relates to the Day of Judgment. The same misunderstanding we have as it relates to death. Many times the way we portray death to our children even is that it's a scary event no matter what you do. No, it's a scary event if you weren't prepared for it. If you were prepared for it, then it's not a scary event. It's the event you look forward to. Because this life that is so full of difficulties, it is so full of pain, it is so full of injustices, so full of limitations, it comes to an end. You graduate from this world. What part of that is scary? What part of that is frightening? The hadith of the imam says, he says, the death for the believer, the one who was prepared for his death, the death for him is like taking off a, a piece of clothing or a clothing that he had on that was extremely dirty. Yes, imagine a clothing you've had on for a long time. Maybe you've been working on it, in it. It has stains. It has, it has you know, different parts where there are holes in the clothing. You want to get rid of this. The imam says death for a believer is like taking off this dirty clothes that this person has had and putting on clean, a, a clean set of clothes. That's how it is. So it's not that it's scary for everybody. No, death is scary for the one who was not prepared for it. Yes, the day of judgment is scary for the one who wasn't prepared for it. For those who are prepared for it, it's not a scary event. That's why we read in hadith that a person who does good deeds in this world and he's able to bring those good deeds to the day of judgment because the verse said, man ja'a bil hasana." Whoever brings the good deeds, what does that mean? That means you do the good deeds, but you don't ruin them. You do the good deeds, but then you don't sin and ruin those good deeds. So you have to try to protect these good deeds that you do. But if you're able to bring them to the day of judgment, if you're able to protect them until the day of judgment, Hadith says that these good deeds take on the form of human beings on that day. They take on a physical form. And when the human being is resurrected from the grave and he is leaving the grave, these good deeds will stand in front of the human being. And they will turn to the human being. They will say, لا wa la anta tahzan. You have nothing to worry about. We are going to guide you through this chaos that's taking place. We are going to guide you towards the mahshar. We're going to guide you towards the day of judgment. We are going to walk ahead of you and we're going to guide you on this path. So for the one who's prepared, it's not that this is a scary event. Yes, for the one who's not prepared, this is definitely a scary event. It's a difficult day for the kuffar yasir, as we read in other verses of the Quran. So we have to balance these two perspectives. On one hand, the Quran says, this event is so horrific that if a mother was there, and she was feeding her child, she would forget about her child if a mother was there in this status, right? This is the Quran explaining how horrific it potentially is. This is on one hand. On the other hand, the Quran says, no, there are those who come, we tell them, la alaykum wa la antum tahzanun. You have nothing to worry about. Nothing bad is going to happen right now. 
and nothing bad is going to happen in the future either. You have nothing to be sad about right now and you have no worries about what's going to happen in the future either. So there are both groups of people. You have to look at it in a balanced manner. On that day, this event is going to take place. Okay. Amongst these other events, so the first one was that the, the earth and the mountains, the symbols of stability, they will shatter. They will be shattered into pieces. Then, Then the sky is split open. And the sky is torn apart and it's very weak. Meaning that it is easily torn apart. So what happens when this sky is torn apart? The Quran doesn't tell us exactly. But this idea of the sky having... You know, splitting open is something that's mentioned in multiple verses of the Quran. We read, you know, in the in the shorter surahs of the Quran. And in other verses of the Quran, Surah Ar-Rahman, we read that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, When the sky is split open, it turns into Wardatan Kaddihan, Surah Ar-Rahman. That when you open this sky, when you split this sky open, then all of a sudden, according to some understandings of the verse, then you will see a red rose. What is this red rose? It looks like a red rose. What is this symbolizing? What is it talking about? We really don't know. And as we go on with these verses, then the Quran is going to talk about some other details. We may not understand exactly what they mean. So we'll have to get to that point in just a second. Why is it that we don't understand these things? How is it that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is trying to explain these events for us and it won't click for us? Why can't, can't he just put it in simpler terms so that we could understand it? We're going to have to get to that in just a second. The sky splits open. And you will see the angels on the corners of this sky. You know when you have guards, when you have a team, and they want to take care of something, what do they do? They each go stand in the corner. They're waiting for the command to, to come through, right? When the command comes through, then they are going to perform something. They're going to execute based on the command on whatever they are gathered around. So the Quran says, And there are angels in every corner of the sky, meaning that they are waiting for the command to change the skies. They are waiting on the command to change this, this world and this universe that we live in. And then pay attention to what the verse says. Beyond these angels that are in the corners of the skies and they're waiting to execute things, Beyond them, you will find eight entities, eight beings that will be carrying the throne of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Okay, so what is this throne, arsh? Normally when you talk about a throne, it means where the king sits, right? It's the throne on which he, he sits. Okay, that's normally what you're talking about. But this arsh, of course we know, God doesn't have a physical throne. So what is this arsh that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is talking about? It's referring to the idea of the power, the managing of the heavens and the earth. That's what you use a throne for, right? You sit on it and you pass decrees. You sit on it and you pass judgments. 
So Arsh symbolizes the decision-making, the power over the kingdom of the heavens and the earth. The Quran says, Eight beings, eight entities are going to be carrying the throne of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala on that day. These are confusing verses for us. We don't understand exactly what's going on here. Are these eight beings, are they angels? Are they human beings? We don't know. Some verses or some ahadith say, yes, the eight, four of them are the greatest prophets of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and four of them come from the Ahlul Bayt. Yes? Four of them, Nuh and Ibrahim, Musa and Isa, and the other four, Muhammad and Ali and Hassan and Hussein. These are the eight that are carrying the throne of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, meaning that they are now executing on behalf of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Some ahadith say, no, these are angels. We don't know exactly. We just know that the Quran is describing to us these realities that are taking place. Okay. All of this that is happening, as I said, is very confusing for us. The question that comes to mind is, why would Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala describe it in this way? Can he just describe it in a way where we could understand? Can he just describe it in simpler terms? The reality is that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is just trying to show us. He's trying to give us a little bit of a window into a world that we don't understand. Because of that, the descriptions that he makes of that world also don't totally make sense to us. But that's because we're not familiar with that world. And I remember our teacher used to give us a very good example. Yes, our teacher used to say, you know, if you wanted to explain the attraction between the two genders, if you wanted to explain this to a five-year-old, to a seven-year-old, right, that, that's not experiencing it at that age, whatever you do, you won't be able to explain it to them. Yes? No matter how you explain it and what terminology you put it in, you won't be able to explain it. If you want to explain why the mother and the father in the household, why they love so, one another so much, you can't explain it in words that this five-year-old or seven-year-old will understand. So he used to say, you know, if you try to explain it to this child and you say, you know what, you know, these, these two genders, the mother and the father, they're like, uh, they're like magnets, right? They draw one another uh, to, to each other. And you say, oh, okay, so like the magnets that we have on the refrigerators, that's what you're talking about? They, they like, you know, they connect with each other. And you're like, no, 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 that's not what I'm talking about. Right? <laughs> That's the, don't think of it in terms of magnets. There's no magnets. And it's like, oh, but you said magnets. No, no, there's no magnets. Well, let me explain it this way. You know how like you have a rubber band and then you pull them, you pull the two sides further and further from each other. But then the moment you let go, they come back together. It's kind of like that. And he says, huh, so you, so mom and dad, they have like rubber bands and they're each pulling one side of it. And you're like, no, 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 that's not what I'm talking about. And the more you try to describe for him, at one point, he might sit there and say, hmm, why don't you just explain it in simple terms? If you could just explain it in simple terms, I would understand. And you say, listen, there's no way for me to explain this in simple terms. You don't have the capacity to understand it. It's not that I can't explain it. It's that your capacity has not developed to a point where you can understand it. 
Because the Qur'an, what you understand of the Qur'an, what you take in of the Qur'an has to do with your capacity. For some like me, I look at these verses and I have a very simple understanding of them. And I can't even understand, I can't even make total sense of them. Yes, you understand a little bit, you can't really make sense of them. The one who has full capacity, the Ahlul Bayt look at these same verses and they take in the realities that are there behind these verses. Just depends on the capacity. So here we are with very little capacity and then we're pointing the finger at Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala saying, why can't you explain things in a way we can understand it? If you could just explain things in a simpler term, in simpler terms, we would be able to understand it. That's not the problem. The problem is you and I, we don't have the capacity of understanding. We don't have the capacity, that level of maturity to understand these realities. That's why even when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala tries to describe these things for us, we can't understand. And we sit there and we say, this sounds very confusing. It sounds very weird to us. Yes, These are realities that the Qur'an is just trying to give us a little bit of an idea. That's why the beautiful hadith of the Ahlul Bayt says, and this is a, a wonderful principle that you can apply to in every aspect of your life in this world and the next. The hadith says, Everything in this world, سَمَاعُهُ أَعْدَمُ مِنْ عِيَانِهِ Everything in this world, when you hear about it, it sounds bigger and greater than when you actually experience it. You know, people tell you, oh my God, you'll become famous and then this will happen and that happen. And when you actually experience it, it, sound, it, doesn't, it wasn't as great as people used to tell me. And then the hadith continues. He says, when it comes to the akhirah, when it comes to the hereafter, everything that you hear is always going to be smaller compared to when you actually experience it. The things we're told is just a little snippet what is actually going to happen is going to be a much more comprehensive experience. It's going to be a much more overwhelming experience for the human being. These are just little snippets here and there. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is trying to give us a little bit of an idea only. Recite a salawat, please. Allahumma salli ala Muhammadin wa ala Muhammad. Wa ajjil He moves on. This is verse 18. After all of these events take place, and of course, again, in Surah Al-Haqqa, the Qur'an doesn't go into too much detail. After all of these happen, there is one characteristic, there is one attribute of this day, one feature of this day, that is central to the Day of Judgment. And that is this. All of the things that were hidden, they come to light. Everything that was hidden now becomes clear for everybody. On that day, you will be presented. Arda means when a, a, a businessman, when he takes his merchandise and puts it in front of the customer, right? He presents it to the customer. And the customer takes it and he flips it around and he says, hmm, this part and that part. And he takes a look at the whole thing. This is Ard. The Quran says, On that day, you will be presented your flaws your strengths, your good deeds, your bad deeds. And then the Qur'an says, لا تخفى منكم And there's no hidden aspect of your character that remains hidden on that day. Everything becomes clear on that day. Everything that you had done, everything that you had thought, everything that you, you it was part of your conduct, was part of your behavior, everything that you thought about that had effects in this world, all of that comes to light. 
except there are those deeds that never come to light. There are those deeds that even on the day of judgment, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala does not bring out to show not only other people, not even the shuhada, nobody gets to see these other deeds. What other deeds are there? I thought that the angels are there to write down every single deed that I commit, yes? They write down everything. They will bear witness to everything on that day. They have books of deeds that contain every single deed of mine. The Quran says, when people are given their book of deeds, they say, kitab. What, what's going on in this book? This book contains everything that I did. Every little thing and every big thing I did. It's all in this book. I thought everything is recorded. But there are those deeds, brothers and sisters, that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, even though His knowledge is encompassing of everything, there are those deeds that are not recorded in these books. They're off record. Yes? You know, the people who are powerful, they have times where they say, okay, we're going to take everything into consideration. And then when you sit down to talk to them, they say, I can sit down to talk to you off record. There's some information I can share with you off record. Yes? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, He takes note of everything. His angels take note of everything. The earth remembers everything that you committed on it. That's why it says in some of the later surahs of the 30th juz that on that day, the earth will speak of akhbaraha. akhbaraha. It will speak of the realities and the incidents that took place on it. Yes? But then there is one category of deeds that is not disclosed. That's a file with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala himself. And that category of deeds is the category of deeds where the servant of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, after committing those sins, he repented. That file, that folder, is between Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and his servants. That is never, never presented to anybody. Yes, all the other deeds this person did, good and bad, they show up. Yes, absolutely. Except those deeds where when he committed this sin, then he had a moment of regret afterwards, he repented to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. These deeds, they are not presented on that day and then forgiven. That's not what happens. They are not even presented. They're not on the records. You can't even find them. Because that's between Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and His servant. This is the ultimate mercy of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. This is Arhamur Rahimin. On that day, His servant is not going to be embarrassed. If His servant was able to do tawbah, these deeds, nobody's even talking about them. What, what wrong deeds? You never did any wrong deeds. He says, Ya Allah, I did these wrong deeds. Yes, but you did your tawbah. Because of that, they won't even show up. That's why hadith from Usul al-Kafi says, إِذَا تَابَ الْعَبْدُ تَوْبَةً نَسُوحًا أَحَبَّهُ When a servant repents to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, and it's the type of tawbah where he doesn't want to go back, doesn't want to you know, commit these sins again. سَتَرَهُ اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ فِي الدُّنْيَا وَالْآخِرَةِ Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala covers him up in this world and the next world. Okay. The narrator asks, he says, فَقُلْتُ وَكَيْفَ يَسْتُرُ عَلَيْهِ so I understand, you said in this world and the next world. Well, this world, it makes sense. Nobody finds out, for example, he did this deed or that deed. Okay, but the akhirah, the akhirah is, 
يوم تبل السرائر the akhirah is يوم إذن تعرضون لا تخفى منكم خافية that day is the day where nothing is hidden you're telling me God is going to hide some things on that day and the imam says yes those deeds that this person he performed tawbah with regards to them so how, do, how does he take it off the records? This is what he says. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala makes the angels forget about these deeds that this person committed, the ones he did tawbah from. You might say, well, the angels aren't the only ones keeping record, right? This person did these sins with his limbs. His limbs will bear witness against him. That's what the Quran says on that day, that their skin and their limbs will bear witness against them. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala commands to his limbs, Hide these sins. I don't want you talking about these sins. Because he... He did tawbah. He returned to me. This is off record now. We're not keeping this on record anymore. And he commands the different parts of the earth where this person had committed these sins. Wherever he committed these sins on you, you don't have the right to bear witness to them on that day. So what's the result? What happens? The hadith says this person comes. He meets Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala on the day of judgment. No one is there to come and bear witness to any of these sins. You know, when you go to court, the judge doesn't hold you accountable, right? There's someone who has a complaint against you. That person is holding you accountable. The judge is going to judge between you. But what if the person who's complaining doesn't show up? What if the, comp the person who's bringing this case to court never even shows up? What happens? The whole thing falls apart. He says he enters the day of judgment. He meets Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. There's no one on the other side of the table to hold him accountable. What sins? No one's there to tell him you did this sin, you did that sin. This is between Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and his servant. So yes, on the day of judgment, nothing is hidden from anybody. Except for those deeds that the human being, he does tawbah from. Those deeds, they no longer exist for them to even show up on the record of the human being. Then the Quran continues, فَأَمَّا مَنْ أُوتِيَ كِتَابَهُ بِيَمِينِهِ there are two groups of people on that day. There are those that we give their good, their book of deeds, their right hand. They react in one way. The one who we give it, we give it to him, to his left hand. Other verses of the Quran say, behind his back, with his left hand. They react in a different way. But here's a question to ponder, inshallah, for next week as we continue with the discussion. What do you think? would be the first thing that those who are given the, the book in their right hand say. What is their first reaction when they're given this stamp of approval, this entry, this pass into heaven? What is the first thing that comes to their mind? There's a number of things that they could say in that first moment, yes? You've seen. When athletes win this, this you know, they win a championship, they win a big prize, for example, right? And they, they give this person this reward, what do they do? They have someone there standing with the mic in that moment. They say, tell us what you're feeling in this moment. 
right? Because that moment is the most genuine moment this person is going to have. It's the most real moment that this person is going to have. What do you think the first thing is that these people say when they're given their book of deeds on, in their right hand? What's the first thing that they say on that day? It kind of shows you why they ended up in this position to, be, to begin with. And then, what's the first thing that those who get their books in their left hands, what's the first thing that they say? This is a question. Inshallah, think about it. Prepare your guesses. Next week, inshallah, we'll continue with this discussion. Maybe you can do a little bit of pre-study to see if what, what they say and what they react. And there's a message in what they say. There's a reason why this person ended up in this position. Inshallah, that we will leave for the following weeks. With that, inshallah, I'll bring tonight's talk to an end. Thank you, dear brothers and sisters, for tuning into another episode of the Tafsir Treasures podcast. I hope that this episode was another step for all of us to coming closer to having a deeper understanding of the Quran and the message of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. If you would like to stay updated on the courses, the presentations, or the other podcasts that Mizan Institute is offering, you can always follow us on the major social media platforms on Facebook, on Instagram, or Twitter. Or you can always refer to Mizan Institute's website, which is MizanInstitute.org. Finally, if there is any feedback, feel free to leave a review for the podcast or you can always message us directly on any of these platforms so that we can benefit from your feedback for future projects, inshallah. Wassalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.